welcome. This is the Spiritual Exercises Podcast. I am Rachel Amaday. I am so excited to be with you all. It's been about a week and a half off for me, not really off. We had so many gigs in the last couple of weeks. I just thought I'm not going to be able to put enough mental power into this podcast. And I like to share with you guys stuff that maybe you haven't thought about or heard of. That is why it's called the Spiritual Exercises. And so, um, but today I'm excited to get back with you. I've been preparing for a women's retreat. You guys, I have never had this much time to speak before to any group of people. So I'm so excited because we're going to dig in to some really kind of more nerdy stuff. And I thought I'd pull from some of what I've been preparing for the retreat for today's podcast. I do want to talk about I am having a new sponsor, sorts, sort of, so to speak, um, as part of the podcast, and it is Govi Gas Tabs. Guys, I'm introducing this to people because I honestly believe this is our route to be able to continue to afford our independence when it comes to transportation. I know for so many people, gas prices and inflation have been hitting really hard lately. And I don't want people to lose their ability to drive, to purchase what they need to purchase, um, to purchase gasoline for their cars or to lose um, the quality of their car's lifespan. So I've started using this product called Govi Gas Tabs. And I can get you this product if you're interested. You can reach out to me about it. But basically this all it does is it breaks down the molecules in your fuel so that they're all even and your your engine can use the gasoline efficiently. This, this thing also cleans your engine. Um, it will reduce your emissions. And this is based on decades-old technology and some technologies that even won the Nobel Prize. This has been in the commercial space for 40 years. It's been used for big equipment and industrial equipment. And now it's available to consumers so that we can extend the life of our gasoline when we buy it and the life of our engines. So feel free to reach out about that if you are interested in trying it. All right, we're going to dig in now and discuss something that I've been working on now and I'm so excited about. Um, it is, I've talked about the menorah in the past and I want to come back to this concept. We really need to dig in to the signs and symbols that God has put into scripture, not the ones that we think God has put into scripture, because we have a lot of signs and symbols in Catholicism and Christianity that we use. And that's fine. I have no problem with signs and symbols that kind of help us recognize, hey, that's a believer or somebody who believes in God. You know, maybe they're wearing a cross symbol or a fish symbol. The fish, you know, being a fisher of men, that's in the Bible, right? We know that the sign of the cross is one of understanding that Christ made this unbelievable sacrifice for us. So I have really no problem with all of that. However, there are some signs and symbols in scripture that are given so often and so much through Genesis to Revelation that it would be silly of us to ignore them. And the menorah is one of them. You guys, the menorah is a seven candle um, candelabra. You can look up a picture of one of these. I'll try to post a picture um, if I remember to in the content section of my substack here. But seven candles. You have three on either side of a middle candle that is usually slightly taller than the other candles. It's very much shaped like a tree. And I've talked about this in the past, that the symbolism of the world is oftentimes a triangle or a pyramid. And you have, you know, this concept of someone at the top and everything below it is enslaved to whatever's happening at the top. Everything below is supporting what's happening at the top. But that's not the symbol of the menorah. 
The symbol of the menorah is the opposite. It's small at the bottom and large at the top. It's very much shaped like a tree with branches. And we're compared to trees a lot in scripture. And it's the idea that we're family. You know, with Christ in the middle, he is the light that lights all the other lights. We are his family. So the menorah is special as a symbol, in my opinion. And it is given throughout scripture. It's given through from Genesis to Revelation. That number seven is so important, um, not only because it's chiastic, and I'll talk about that word in just a second, um, but because it's given so much in scripture. We have seven days of creation. We have likely seven millennia before a redo of everything, before God remakes all things, okay? We have seven sevens in the Feast of Weeks. We have seven colors in a rainbow. And the rainbow is, of course, a sign of God, right? It's a sign that God will not destroy the earth just with water again. Um, There is seven after seven after seven after seven throughout scripture. And I'm going to teach you a little bit about seven today and a little bit about how the menorah works. And then I think in our next session, we're going to go into how the structure of the menorah ties into some of the Ten Commandments, ties into the feast days that are given in Leviticus, and ties into end times prophecy. And so what's kind of cool is from the very beginning of creation in the seven days, God has laid out for you his timetable for all things. He's already giving you a clue of how he operates, the cycles in which he operates in. Now, we're not used to cycles because we are Greek-minded, Western-minded thinkers, and we like to think of time as linear, and we like to think um, a little bit differently when we're reading scripture. But I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage you to start thinking of how God works in cycles. Um, and even, you know, the ancients knew this, the rabbis understood this, King David knew this. How do we know? Well, we know in Psalm 23, when he says, make my paths straight, that word for paths in Hebrew is actually cycles. Help me align with your cycles, is what he's saying. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Those paths are cycles, the cycles of righteousness, okay? And so God operates in cycles. And so we should be finding his cycles in scripture. And thankfully, we do. Um, I also, you know, we have this idea of the Sabbath day. And I know I've spoken about the Sabbath before, but just a reminder, God is capable of building something in a time dimension. Now we don't think of time this way. Again, we think of it as linear. But if you think of something circling through time, moving forward and circling like, like the rings of a slinky, every time the Sabbath comes around, there's a moment in time where you get to be with the Lord. God is building his relationship with you through time. And he is building something through time that is, I think, three-dimensional. He's building something in a time dimension because he can do that. So we need to understand his cycle so we can join him in what he is building in that time dimension. All right, let's talk about the menorah and chiastic structure. So some of you may have heard about this concept of chiastic structure. If you've gone to seminary or had some deeper Bible classes or teaching, it basically is the concept that, and you can, if you're looking at a menorah, you should be able to see this, that the, in the very center of, a, let's say, a list of ideas or a story, in the very center of the story is going to be the most important idea, the main idea. So that fourth candle in the middle of the seven, that's the main thing. That's the main idea. 
And then the three to the left and the three to the right are ideas that build up to the main idea and then ideas that build back down. Now, if you look at the first and the seventh candle on the menorah, those two concepts will go together. Either they will be a mirror picture of each other or one will be a doing and then the other will be the undoing of it. The same with the second and the sixth candle. Those two concepts will will tie somehow. And the third and the fifth candle, those concepts will tie. And you see how they're tied, how they're linked. If you were building, as Moses had to, the menorah from one solid piece of gold, the part that makes the first and the seventh candle would come from the same location in that piece of gold. The part that makes the second and the sixth, the same location, the third and the fifth from the same location, etc. So what you have is this concept of these ideas that build up to the main idea and then they build back down. So all of the Bible is chiastic in not just the macro, but in the micro portions of scripture. There's so much chiastic stuff going on. Here's one one idea for you that I got from the amazing teacher. I believe her name is Halisa. Um, she's with the Hebrew Roots Network, but she um, mentions this in one of her creation teachings that um, in the beginning, before the sun and the moon are created, there's just light right? Light from darkness. God is the light. There is no other light source. It is God himself. We are told in the very end, there will not be any sun, that God will be the light source and we will be getting all of our light from him. And so again, you ha- there it is. You have a chiastic principle there that the beginning is like the end and the building up to the middle the point and the building back down will be very much the same. What does the Bible say? It will say the end times as in the days of Noah. There will be things that will be taking place that are a lot like the days of Noah. Okay, so you have in the beginning Noah and the story of the earth being so defiled and God having to rescue it through washing. You will have the same principle happen in the end where the earth will be so defiled that God will have to come and wash it a little bit differently, right? He's going to be using fire and water, I believe, not just water, but he's going to baptize the earth again in the end. And so again, you have something that happened in the beginning happening in the end. Those two things happen right after, right? The creation story and the very, very end where God is the light in the very, very beginning. So you could say, hey, that that would be like a second and a sixth candle, possibly Noah, and then the end times as in the days of Noah, etc., etc. Guys, you will find this in chapters in scripture. You will find it in whole books of scripture. You will find chiastic structure everywhere. And again, that center idea is the main point. It's the light that lights all the other lights, okay? And the reason I say that is because the original menorah was set up to pour the oil down the center candle, and then it there would be holes that would fill up the oil in all the other candles, okay? So it was a miraculous structure, really, in its construction. I, I don't know how difficult that would have been to create. I think God miraculously helped Moses create that thing. Um, but that's how the menorah operates. And so that center candle does all of the work, right? To support all the branches. And what are we told in scripture? That he is the root, right? There's one tree. He says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. He is the center. We are the branches off of him. It's just, this is one of God's symbols. 
And a lot of believers don't know this. They don't recognize it when they see it and they don't understand it. But it's one of God's symbols because it literally tells you how God has structured his word and how he has structured time. Okay? Chiastic structure. So we're going to get into what seven means, each mm. each number, how it relates to the others, and how we see these numbers talking to each other in scripture. Now, one more one more thing we have to go over before we dig into today's first couple of lessons is the Hebrew language, especially biblical Hebrew, operates very differently than English. So even Hebrew words are chiastic in that the Hebrew language can be broken down into three-letter root words. A lot of this teaching comes from Brad Scott. He was a linguistic biblical languages expert. A doc, he had a doctorate in this. He's a very, very good teacher if you want to understand biblical languages. But Hebrew can be broken down into three-letter root words. And the center letter is the one that tells you the heart of the meaning of the word. The other letters on the outside give you some um, context for that meaning, okay? So even the Hebrew language is chiastic. It is also different than English in that each Hebrew letter has its own meanings, each Hebrew number has its own meanings, and each Hebrew letter is assigned a numerical value that gives it different meaning. I apologize for how crazy my house sounds right now, my studio. We have got lots going on today, um, but each has different meanings. And so we, we don't understand a lot of what's going on in scripture with numbers and some of the language because English just doesn't work that way. So when you see a number in English, it doesn't tell you anything. But if you understood the Hebrew, the Hebraic understanding behind that number, it would tell its own story and it would give you more meaning to the stories you're reading in scripture. Here's why knowing that I think is so meaningful though. Every single word and number in scripture is important. It was given for a reason. It's not arbitrary. God's words are not arbitrary. Every single word and letter is valuable. And so when you're reading sections of scripture that you find boring or strange, uh, a great example is in the book of Numbers, there is a list, there's a lineage list, basically a list of names. And sometimes we're like, oh my word, you know, I don't want to read this. We understand the historical value of that though, that writing down lineages was actually probably helpful for us to understand timelines and the the historical time that they were in and who these people were and how many people were there, et cetera, et cetera. But what a lot of people don't understand is those names in Hebrew have meanings. And those meanings, actually, there's a list of names and numbers that tells the story of the suffering of Christ. It's literally those names are prophetic storytelling. That stuff should inspire you to understand your Bible could only have been written by a God. No one else could have written this incredible work and no one else could have designed something like that to occur, especially at the beginning where there wasn't technology and you've got these 12 tribes out in a desert, right? And so the people that God has aligned, actually even the leaders of the tribes who are doing different things, their names, God has aligned it so that their names tell the story of God and his family. That's pretty cool. 
but we don't get to know that if we don't know a lot of Hebrew. And guys, I don't know a lot of Hebrew, but I do know great Hebrew scholars. And so I'm blessed in that. And I try to share those people with you so you can go and do some of that learning and research on your own. Okay. So we've talked about chiastic structure. We know seven is important in scripture. And now we understand a little bit more about how the Hebrew language works. So let's dig into the number seven, and we're going to start with one. Okay. So one to seven. Um, one in the Bible. Well, first of all, what we're told as our first love by the Ten Commandments and by Jesus time and again is to love the Lord. The number one in scripture means whole. So in the very beginning, you see God in his wholeness alone, right? But he is full and whole. He is the number one. He is our first love. He is undivided. Okay. He has his own holy place. Okay. There's no division in him. And there's nothing else sitting on a throne anywhere. In the first day of creation, day one, God exists by himself and his unity. Using chiastic structure, we see light existed here without a sun. Again, this is just a reminder of that chiastic meaning that we're told at the very end, God will once again be the light. There will not be a sun. And then we have... Um, the concept that the very first letter in scripture or in the Hebrew alphabet is the Aleph. The Aleph was always related to God, the father, to the ancients. Okay. So you have one God, the father, you see him alone by himself at the very, very beginning. Now let's talk about the 10 commandments in the 10 commandments. The very first command is to love the Lord, your God, to love him alone. One. He's the only one, okay? There should be no division in who sits on the throne in your heart. If you love him first, number one, first and foremost, then your life will be properly aligned, right? And you will be following God's word and you will be obeying Yeshua when he says the two most important commands, the ones that all the other commands hang off of are to first, love the Lord, okay? Number one, loving the Lord. We also see that the very first feast day given in Leviticus is the Sabbath. And it's because it's considered to be the most important of all of the feast days. Of all the celebrations, the Sabbath day is the most important. And so it should be first and foremost in your mind to remember the Sabbath, as Exodus tells us, as God tells us, to remember that it's coming, to prepare for it, and to understand it's the most important. It is the seventh day of the week, but it is first and foremost in your mind of all the days. It is what you are always preparing for, right? And I think it's also important to understand first and foremost that God immediately tells you seven is important. So the very first feast day is about the seventh day. It's about the Sabbath, okay? Um, we have another command in scripture um, in the 10 commandments that's also going to be out of place, but we're gonna see how it relates to the Sabbath day and the seventh day. But this is the most important of all the feast days. And so I always encourage people, please keep the Sabbath. It's the day that God has said, come and be with me. It is our time together. It is a rest day. And unfortunately, if you don't if you don't stop working on the Sabbath, you're, you're cut off from your people. And basically I see it this way. If you go to work on the Sabbath instead of showing up for the Lord, you're not at family time, right? So you're not at the dinner table. 
God has set a table for you. He set a seat for you. And if you're working instead, you're not at the table. That's how you get cut off from your people on the Sabbath day if you work. And you don't want that. You want to be with family. That's a family. That's family time. That's that's family day. And it's more important than any other work. It's the day that you say, I know the Lord is the one who takes care of me. Okay. It's first and foremost in your mind. Keep the Sabbath. Um, I, I get offered so much work on the Sabbath day. You guys, it is crazy. And I think I was re- I was reminded to do this study actually, because at this time of year, especially, I get asked and asked and asked to work on Friday nights because I, I do a lot of music. Um, and I am constantly having to remind myself, no, no, I shouldn't do that. No, I think that one's going to be work. Actually, I think I'm going to have to, you know, make other people work that evening if I do that one. And, you know, a lot of times it's like that music is fun for other people. That's their that's their time off. That's their good time. But what about my family time? If it's if I'm not helping to serve the people of God in a congregation like a Levitical priest, that time is supposed to belong to the Lord and my family, and I'm supposed to be showing up to God's family and table. So just a reminder. Okay, so there's some of the meanings of one. Let's talk about two, okay? In our numbers one through seven, what does the number two mean? So the second commandment is there shall be no idols. Now the number two in Hebraic thinking really means division, okay? All of a sudden you had one, like you had Adam in the garden by himself, and then God divided Adam, right? He took part of Adam's side he put him to sleep. Adam had to die. And then a part of his side was taken out. And when he awoke, when he came back to life, there was fruit. There was a new person. There was division. So the second day, um, number two uh, is divi- is about division. And I think it's why the second commandment is there shall be no idols. Because an idol would be a division, a diversion from God. So you can't put God in with other idols. You can't be like, oh, I worship the Lord, but then I also worship all these other idols. Okay, that's division. God has said, don't do that in the first command. And then he has said it again in the second command here. If you have idols, that is divided. You have divided your heart and I don't share that space. And so God has made it very clear from the beginning, only Jesus, there is only one way to the Lord. It is through Yeshua. You cannot get there with all the other idols you'd like to take along. They can't get you there. And um, we'll talk about fire in this series a little bit as well, because there's been a lot I've gotten to discover about who God is and why no other idol can come along and why there is only one way into heaven and there's only one way to be present with the Lord and it's through Jesus. Um, And part of it is God's fire, but we'll do that a different time. Now, on the second day of creation, waters above were separated from the waters below. The way it's described in Hebrew is kind of as if there's a lump of bread dough that you're working with, and then you try to split the bread dough. And what will happen if you've got a nice sticky bread dough is you'll have two lumps in your hands and the middle will be thinned out, okay? That's what happened to the waters. The middle was thinned out. There's a little bit of water in the air, right? We've got humidity, but really we, we've we been separated from the waters of the earth. You know, we've got oceans and lakes and streams, and then you've got waters in the heavens. You've got the waters in the clouds, and then you've got some humidity in between, right? You've got some space in there where there is some water, but the two actually are separated, upper waters and lower waters. There's some great teachings about 
human beings actually being part of the lower waters because we're so, we're made up of so much water and how that can also apply in scripture. Um, I also want to talk about the seven spirits of the Lord, which I didn't do the first spirit, which is, um, I believe wisdom. Okay. Wisdom and understanding are first and seven. They go together. The spirits of God, you find these in Isaiah. All right. There are seven spirits of the Lord. The second spirit is counsel. You can only have counsel if there's more than one person present. So here, once again, we have the idea of two, two in the same space, but you can only get counsel if there's at least two people in the same space, right? Two heads are better than one. Okay. So division isn't always a bad thing. When God created Eve for Adam, he said, ah, yes, this is finally very good. It was not good for Adam to be alone but now it's good. And it's good because Adam and Eve were going to become one. Good counsel is counsel that you can take and be unified with that will produce fruit, will produce a good outcome. But counsel has a divided idea behind it because there has to be two people. Okay. So additionally, God calls himself even though he's one, he calls himself the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, or in Hebrew, the Aleph and the Tav. He is both at the beginning and the end, yet he is one entity, okay? Two becoming one there. We, we see that idea there as well. Um, the bride of Christ and Christ will be unified and become one, right? Just like a bride and a groom become one when they, they get married, um, two moments in the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph and the Tav, the Alpha and Omega, um, yet the span of those two things equals one and wholeness. Um, the second of the feast days that are listed in Leviticus is the Passover. And it's the second, um, it's the first. So we have the Sabbath that's listed first. And then we have the first of the feast days listed in the year. The Passover is supposed to be at the head of the year. Um, and the Passover is really all about separation, is it not? When you think about the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt, they were enmeshed with Egypt and they were enslaved there. Um, Egypt means trial, okay? So they were enslaved to sin and trial, basically, if you're looking at it from a spiritual view. They were in hell. But God, through his power, saved them and took them out of Egypt. They were separated. They were divided. They were taken out of the trial and tribulation and taken into the desert to meet God, Yahweh, and to become one with God and his things. Okay, but there's a division that has to take place. Holiness requires division. It means you have to be set apart, but it's only good. Okay, it's only good to be set apart if you are going to be unified with something better right? It's not, God has said, you're not supposed to be alone. It's not good for mankind to be alone. You're supposed to be unified to God, his things, and his people. So that division, it only becomes good if you were headed out to become one with God and his things. This applies so much in life. Listen, if you're, if you're divided from something or someone or division is taking place, that can be a good thing, but it's only a good thing if it's because you're heading into unity and oneness with more of God's things. If you're not, then I would question, I would question the divisiveness that you might be engaged in. And I know I've had to sit down and think about that a lot. Is it good for me to be divided from these people or from these groups or from these ideas or from this? 
it can, it can be, it can be really good, but you better be heading into unity with the Lord and with his people and with something that is heavenly. Because if you're just getting, you know, isolated, that's not going to end up being a good thing. And I think it's why the Bible says something along the lines of do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you overcome a great evil in your life, let's say, or when you overcome an addiction or whatever it might be, if you don't replace that with something, right? If that isn't replaced with good, if that isn't replaced with God, it will just get replaced with a bunch of other problematic things, okay? So in our good division, in our good separating, we should always be pursuing wholeness and holiness and what what are we how are we going to improve upon what we've been separated from okay so there's a lot again in the number 2 the second idea right the the second day of creation the second of the 10 commandments the second of the um the feast days and the second of the seven spirits of the lord all right so this is a plenty of teaching for <laughs> for you guys to um, chew on for the next week. I'm going to dig into some of the next numbers next time. Um, And then one of these times we'll get into why the fire of the Lord is so important. All right, y'all. I hope you've enjoyed today. I will hopefully be back on time next week. Thank you.